Welcome to the Community Supported Best of the Left Podcast, with clips today from The Young Turks, Randy Rhodes, 60 Minutes, and Tom Hartman. Well, you see, there was a a normal National Defense Authorization Act uh, going through Congress and loaded up with the usual things that it's loaded up with. Goes through the Senate, about to go through the House, and then um, last week, Duncan Hunter does something strange. He's the... Not not for Duncan Hunter. Yeah, well, not for him, but for most people. He's the chairman of the House Armed uh, Services Committee. What party is he with? (laughs) Gee, I wonder. He decides to put in um, a provision into the bill saying, hey, you know what, chaplains, I'll read you the quote, chaplains in each of the military services would have the prerogative to pray according to the dictates of their own conscience. Now, if you're just breezing past that, you might think, well, that doesn't seem so bad. Sure. The problem is, in public, when they pray normally, um, they do a non-denominational prayer because they don't want to offend the Methodists or the Mm -hmm. Lutherans or the Muslims or the Jews or the atheists. They just talk about God and how he's going to, you know, obviously he's on our side. These are, and again, these are... Instead of like using the word Christ or Jesus and stuff like that. Or Muhammad, which is what they usually use. Right. They'll they'll just strictly, you know, it'll be sort of a a secular type of thing where they just use God. And But just real quick, before, so we can get to our guest here, this is it, and you mentioned it, Cenk, but these are are public events. Yes. Not, you know, they want to hold a, a, a specific you know, a, a, a specific Catholic service, obviously, that's going to be a Catholic service. And they have those, which are not sure. mandatory events. Right. They're talking specifically about public mandatory events. Where, every, where all the soldiers, Marines, airmen, everybody has to go. All right. Now, on with us is Mikey Weinstein. He's uh, He was in the United, a- United States Air Force as a judge advocate, those, those cool JAGs, for uh, 10 years. Did they, Mikey, did they do that JAG show about you? Is that <laughs> actor uh, representing you? Yeah, that's about as um, um, technically correct as uh, you know being a puppeteer was with Geppetto. Hmm. <laughs> okay, uh, Mike, welcome back to the Young Turks. By the way, thank you. I love you guys because you guys are. I do. I do a gazillion radio shows. You, you guys are the only ones that always seem to get this. <laughs> no, fantastic. Thank you. Appreciate it. Now, uh, Mikey, you know some people would say, "Hey, listen, they're going to pray. They're mostly Christians, and if they're not, what do you care? Let them just say Christ. I mean, we all know it. They're wearing the thing. They, it's about Jesus. Let's get on with it. Uh, what's what's so wrong with this, Mikey? Well, the, pro- the uh, there wouldn't be anything wrong with it, with it if we didn't have a social contract called the U.S. Constitution. You know, this is completely violative of the Constitution. And, and let me just try to explain it this way: If a 21-year-old male prison guard has fully uh, consensual sexual intercourse with a 45-year-old female prison inmate, you know, it's still statutory rape because it can never be consensual. And what uh, Duncan Hunter has done is crafted a piece of legislation that if it's placed on the ground and you walk up to it, you know, it has the stench of 10,000 rotting swine on a hot summer day. (laughs) I don't know how else I can paint the picture. You know, it's early in the morning. Um, This is not just unconstitutional. It's a deadly type of thing when we're facing, you know, uh, a... uh, uh, you know, supposedly Wahhabist, you know, Islamic terrorists uh, and extremists, and you look on the other side, and this allows uh, military chaplains who are not your father and mother's or even your father Mulcahy's from MASH, right. this allows them uh, to, uh, to evangelize or proselytize, not just at mandatory military formations or non-denominational services, because the Air Force uh, on February 9th of this year passed uh, uh, what are referred to as interim religious gu- revised interim religious guidelines that allow superiors up and down the chain of command 
to proselytize or evangelize on duty, even one-on-one, their um, subordinates, as long as it's done non-coercively and with sensitivity. And you see, that's just impossible. How could it be non-coercively when it's an officer to an enlisted man? Or, for that matter, even a five-striper to a three-striper. Yeah. Or, or a second, a first lieutenant to a second when, lieutenant. When any rank is involved. It, exactly. It can't be, particularly when you, when you intersperse what we refer to as the draconian specter of command influence. Look, 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 first of all, it's illegal to have your shift manager push that on you if you work at Starbucks or if you work at Walgreens. That's a violation of Title VII of the U.S. Code. In the military, it's much, much worse. The military has its own set of criminal codes. It's called the Uniform Code of Military Justice. Felon, um, um, adultery is still a felony. If your superior orders you to the base dentist at 4 p.m. and you don't go, it's still a felony. And, you know, and this, this is something that the American people need to understand. It's not a small thing, and it's coming at a time when we have this crescendo mm-hmm. of uh, this imperious contagion of unconstitutional, you know, um, uh, triumphalism coming from one group, which is this, this dominionist Christian group within the monolithic group of evangelical Christians. You mentioned with God on our, you know, with God on our side, that's the name, the name of my new book that's out in a week from St. Martin's Press on this entire thing. Really? Now, huh. M- Mikey, it's funny you brought up. Um, you know, it, it can't be done with coercion, and it has to be done you know, with sensitivity. And um, <laughs> I think it was Representative Walter Jones came out and said, "Sensitivity is just a word. You don't need to tell Christians how to be more sensitive about this issue." I mean, and it. it, it <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what that means. Well, yeah. no, I mean it's so ironic because they're being so insensitive to people that aren't ev- evangelicals who aren't Christian. Jill, it's even worse than that. When Hunter, when this was still in committee. Uh, Congressman Steve Israel from Long Island tried to temper the language by saying, okay, even if we go along with it, we Democrats, then would you at least say that, that, that these chaplains have the right to do it with SRT? In other words, they have, to, they have to preach this way with sensitivity, your word, Jill, respect and tolerance. Duncan Hunter and the Republicans came back and said, no. They can do this insensitively, uh, intolerantly, and with no respect. Right. I, mean, well, so, I mean, what does this tell you? Well, let's, uh, uh, we're talking to, uh, to Mikey Weinstein, uh, and we're talking about this uh, peculiar provision uh, added to the defense authorization bill by, uh, well, by, by devout, and because uh, not all evangelical right. Christians are, are loopy, but these are loopy ones. Uh, just, I'm sorry, before l- you ask your question, this, this passed through the House, hasn't passed through the Senate, and the Pentagon not so much in favor well, that's of what, it? Well, that's what I want to get to is the, is the Pentagon on here, Mikey, because, you know, Jenk and Jill and I, we, we, you know, we don't pretend otherwise. We mm-hmm. haven't served. You've served. Talk to us about the military cohesion. Not everybody in a unit is a Christian. Not everybody, if they are, if they might all be Christians, they're not. They're different levels of Christians. They're different. They have different levels of devoutness, if I may make up a word for America. Um, I, I, think yeah, devo- no. I think devotion was the word I was looking I'll for. I kind of like with, a, with um, Now there's more diversity among soldiers than ever, but less diversity among those that are the chaplains who are now mostly evangelicals. Well, so let's talk about cohesion. I'm going to go with devoutivity, by the way. I was going to say devoutivity was going to be my... Uh, my <laughs> All right, my, well, uh, so military cohesion is important, and you could lose it here, right? Well, it's not just important. It's the only thing. When, when, you, when you're going into a situation of, uh, of harm's way with combat... I mean, this is just not. This is the exa- this is antithetical to everything that makes up the military, and it's um, um, uh, the, the Pentagon at least initially uh, on its face is, is telling the folks in Congress, "Oh, we really uh, shucks, we don't really need this." But it's not just you know uh, you know my I formed a foundation called the Military Religious Freedom Foundation. We oppose it. Even uh, a guy that I'll never be going to dinner with, you know, we're not exactly friends. Ted Haggard, the president of the 40 million strong National Association of Evangelicals. Who, you know, who's a raging right-wing uh, evangelical uh, Christian, even he and his organization have said, we don't need this, we oppose it. Why? 
Uh, well, they claim that it's going to end up uh, creating more government regulation of what they do. I think it's not that at all. I think it's that they sense a sea change coming the first Tuesday in November, and they don't want to be completely screwed uh, out there, you know, left out on the uh, in the desert alone. How could so but so the so the but the the Defense Department, though not aggressively, there are against no, this. No, not. And uh, remember, uh, when they passed these revised interim uh, uh, guidelines for the Air Force on February 9th of this year, four weeks later, I sued them. I'm already I've been in court for almost a year uh, suing the U.S. Air Force, trying to get everyone to play nicely and to treat each other with respect. So we just uh, filed a motion uh, before the judge to amend our lawsuit, which all of this is still pending. So uh, it, it's a grand um, uh, ballet being choreographed by um, uh, nice people like uh, Dick Cheney, uh, George Bush, and their boss, Carl Rove, and, of course, Donald Rumsfeld. Well, I can just hear a conservative in his own mind listening to this show going, what is that? What are these liberals talking about, well, man? I'm a Republican. I'm a Republican. I spent three and a half years in the West Wing of the... The Reagan White House. My family has three consecutive generations of military academy graduates. My youngest son is a, a first classman or a senior at the Air Force Academy, and is sure. the sixth member of my family to go there. And we have 115 combined active duty combat years from every, in, my, in my immediate family from every uh, combat situation this country has been in, from World War One to the current supposedly global war on terror. Sure, that's what you say, Mikey Weinstein. But the reality <laughs> is, you're not even an evangelical. How can you be a real Republican? It doesn't <laughs> and, make and any that's sense. Exactly. That and that is the problem. And, and so I can just hear the conservatives yelling at the radio, going, "Oh, these softy liberals! They don't, this isn't what the respect and sensitivity. That's not what the army's about. The army's about killing people." Well, let me tell you this. And so we have to kill people in the name of Jesus Christ. Yeah, it's kind of hard to argue against that. Uh, I live in New Mexico, and uh, Bush's um, number one representative in the state is the U.S. attorney, who's a right-wing evangelical, born-again Christian, who's one of my closest friends and biggest supporters. Yeah, of course. But, you know, I mean, and again, I, I worry about we don't want to typecast evangelical Christians, born-again Christians. There are nah. millions of no, but there are millions of reasonable ones. And 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 and, and I haven't met any, but okay. Well, Jimmy Carter, there's one. Uh, so what I, I love, never met him. Are you? St- <laughs> well, he wrote me a very nice note of support a few months ago, by the way. Um, uh, what I love about are you really still a Republican, Mikey? Yes, I am. Ah, oh, come on. Why? How can you vote for? Because I think they need more help on the other side. I understand. Well, that's true. Uh, what I love is the Republicans. Their strategy, of course, and to win elections is to divide us, to make us afraid, to sort of point out the differences and eliminate the things that we that we have in common and bring us together. And they've taken that strategy of dividing us, and they think it'll work inside a military unit. That's, that's fantastic. Right. And, you know, um, I'll tell you, Jenk Benadil. Imagine if you're uh, be right before you're about to head on a combat mission. If you have an evangelical chaplain up there telling everyone the best of luck, you know, uh, uh, God loves you, America loves you, and those of you who are killed in this mission will be burning eternally in hell with the Jews and everybody else. <laughs> yeah, right. So let's let's do battle together. Uh, Ma- right. Mikey, I want to la- ask you one last question. And Mikey Weinstein uh, is an attorney, and he's uh, served in the United States Air Force as a judge advocate for over 10 years. Uh, Mikey, now, isn't this really a declaration of war uh, from the evangelicals to all the rest of us saying, hey, listen... We don't want this to be a United States Army where all these different kinds of people serve, the Jews and the atheists and stuff. We want this whole army to be evangelical. We're not interested in any of the other things. Because if I go, I'm an agnostic. If I go to serve in the army, and some guy wants to sit there running his mouth off about things that I think are absolutely absurd, and I say, look, I, F off. I have no interest in you, right? I don't want to talk to you about religion. I want to fight for the United States of America. They're going to put out there, you're not welcome here. And, I mean, that's... To me, that seems like they're driving people away unless they want to turn this country into an evangelical country, and I think that's what their real goal is. 
I give a lot of speeches around the country, and I, I was heckled once by a guy holding up a large crucifix painted in the, uh, uh, the, in the red, white, and blue. And all he just kept yelling at me, uh, these colors don't run, these colors don't run, these colors don't run. I finally interrupted my speech and said, sir, I agree with you. These colors don't run the world. <laughs> yeah, I bet that won him over, Mikey. <laughs> um, yeah, it seemed to really, uh, really carry the day. The bottom line here is that it, I forgot, and, and the U in USA stands for United, and it's not just the First Amendment that, uh, of course, the uh, evangelical right likes to presume that um, there is no separation of church and state. It's a myth, like Bigfoot. But if you just go to Clause Three, Article Six of the body of the Constitution, our founding fathers were so careful to, to actually put a phrase right in there stating that we will never have a religion test for any position in the federal government. It's right there. And that's even, even hard for, you know, dominionist evangelical right-wing, you know, right-wing Christians mm-hmm. to, get to deny when it's right there. And, you know, most I, you know, people... You I know can what? only come to one conclusion with these people. I'm, I have certain people in the administration and the evangelical Christians, they're illiterate. <laughs> they don't, I mean, obviously, because they haven't read the Constitution. If they have, they don't understand it. They, they must, they just can't read. Ah, uh, but Jill, you're forgetting one thing. I think they can read. I think this is willful ignorance, being stupid yeah. on purpose. No, the, oh, and, 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 what's yeah. worse, illiterate or ignorance? <laughs> well, uh, look, I, I, the bottom line in all this is that uh, I am highly amused, and I encourage them to tell all of their followers that when they kill, they kill in the name of Jesus Christ. And because that's what they're doing here. That's what they want to say. They want to say, before we kill people, let's make sure it's for Jesus. You God know, bless. The, go forward. The, the problem is, is that, as Bill Maher says, we're not going to be able to faith our way out of these hideous problems we've gotten ourselves into. We actually have to think our way out. The problem is, with an ideology, ideology any ideology, if you're an ideologue, you don't have to think because your ideology thinks for you. Yeah. That's the problem. Except when you go through Safeway and they ask you, you know, um, uh, paper or plastic, and you close your eyes and go, um, Jesus wants plastic today. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and of course, the Duncan Hunters of the world are very ready to tell you what Jesus wants. Surprisingly enough, it's exactly what Duncan Hunter wants. It's going to be hard to think our way out of this when these people don't believe in reason. Mikey, oh, that's right. Mikey Weinstein, thank you very much uh, for joining us. Uh, it's an important issue, and uh, we're always happy to have you on the program. Thank you, guys. Have a great day. Thanks, All right, Mikey. you too. Before we leave, I just want to make a quick note here. Uh, John Danforth, former Republican senator from Missouri, was on Meet the Press talking about his new book, Faith and Politics. Evangelical Christian. Um, I, no, I, I, he's a minister, but that doesn't make him an evangelical but I, Christian. But I'm certain that he is. Okay, all right. I yeah. don't know, but I love the guy. Okay, yeah. so if it, there, there's a, if he is evangelical, there's one guy I like. But he says, look, you're not God. So all these Republicans going around saying, hey, I know what God said. You're not God. How would you know what God said? Everybody has a different opinion on what God said. Let everybody have that opinion. That's what we call democracy. That's what we used to call the United States of America. He says, until the Christian right took over the Republican Party. They'd say, we're the majority. So we get to, that's how the democracy works. We've decided what God says. It's a, it's a, it, these are dangerous times. This is a small story uh, with big implications. Just
people of faith supposed to, you know, feel now that they know that the president of the United States would lie even about his compassion and his religion and the Jesus? He said Jesus was his favorite philosopher in the debate yep. with Al Gore. He ran on religion. He ran on he's a Christian president. As a matter of fact, some people would be called up in polling and they would ask, what do you think of President Bush's uh, war in Iraq? How is it going? And they'd say, he's a Christian president, so whatever he does is divine by God. You know, and we really had an, an entire population, about 23% of the United States, 4 million voters uh, bamboozled by fake religion. So what, what do we, how do we, how do we discern, your reverend, real religion from fake religion? Well, sometimes it is said, biblically, although, you know, we don't make policy in the United States, you're right, quoting from the Bible, but by their fruits you shall know them, says one of the passages in the Christian New Testament. And if you look at the fruits of this administration, you certainly don't see much evidence of an interest in the poor, an interest in peace, an interest in anything but these hot-button social issues like abortion, which uh, many of your listeners, I think, know already, is never even mentioned in the Christian Bible. In other words, here is a president who has encrusted a whole political agenda and a personal agenda on Jesus, even though Jesus never talked about it. You don't hear Jesus talking about uh, why we need to fight against same-sex marriage. It's not even mentioned. There's no indication he cared about that at all. He criticized people who didn't care about the poor. He cared about people who didn't make peace. And he cared about hypocrites. And apparently in this administration, sad to say, we got plenty of all of these people. And then to make matters worse, Randy, uh, you know, my book, Piety in Politics, I, talk, I tell a lot of stories. People say they're funny stories about my encounters with Dobson. James Dobson and Jerry Falwell and those guys. But, uh, you know, I don't call them nuts. But now we know in David Quo's book that Karl Rove's office called them nuts. Called them called a them lot of things. Called kooky. Them, called kooky called them nuts. goofy, out of control, and ridiculous. Ridiculous, and people who were willing to buy into the administration's line just in exchange for cufflinks. And I can tell you, I literally have been with pastors who have been to the White House who show me those cufflinks and say, this is what I got when I visited uh, with the president, and I think he really does care about the poor. Well, no, he cares about giving out cufflinks. Maybe that helps if you have French-cut shirts, but it doesn't help feed the poor, clothe the naked. Let's talk about the poor, okay, because I, I think that was one of the great lessons of the Bible, is, is what to do about poor. Uh, if you have, give, and if you, you know, if you can, you know, if, if you were Jesus, you would make, you know, bread out of fishes you would make water you know into wine sure. you know i mean this was the this was the 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 the, the id for people to know that jesus was indeed god's son uh, that he could feed that he could nourish that he could take care of uh, yes, he hated hypocrites. He didn't like the money changers. The whole nine yards, it was all anathema to Jesus. And all of the Bible talks about poor, 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 help the poor, and war, 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 make war no more. That is, to me, to me personally, that's the story of, of, of great importance that's in the Bible over and over again through, you know, different uh, people talking, but especially Jesus speaking. Um, now, you know, there, there, there's now evidence that there were... Uh, 
pastor's meetings in the White House, and Bush would come into those pastor meetings, and he would say to Mr. Quo, uh, you know, what, what, what's this meeting about? And Quo would say, well, these, these are the pastors from the uh, black congregation, uh, you know, the Churches of God and Christ, and we invited them to the White House to talk about the faith-based initiative, and sir, uh, we don't have any funding for them. When's the funding coming? And Bush would say, uh, Bush said to him, well, didn't we put any money aside? And the end quote said, no, we didn't put any money aside. Well, what about how much money is there for poverty programs? And he'd say $8 billion. So he said, well, mm -hmm. tell him there's $8 billion new dollars. He said, well, I'm not going to lie, because he was a very religious guy, David Quo, still yeah. is. And, and, he, and, the, and the president was asking him to tell a lie to pastors, black pastors, it happened to be in this scenario, so that he could try to get those black pastors to go back to their black churches, which typically vote Democratic, and get them to switch their political affiliation? Yeah, that's the goal. And, of course, the goal was politically calculated because if a certain percentage, George Bush, as you probably remember, got the lowest percentage of African-American votes right. of any modern re Republican president or presidential candidate in the year 2000. He comes in with this. And uh, frankly, people like Congressman J.C. Watts, the only black Republican congressman who later quit because even he admitted he couldn't get anywhere with the Republicans, uh, he basically said the day that this program was announced, this is to uh, encourage black participation. I mean, he virtually said we're bribing people in order to try to get a few percentage points of vote that could make a difference in some of these big cities and big counties but then so, came but then came Katrina wasn't it patently obvious to people of any conscience let alone religious faith sure. that this president couldn't care less about other people poor people especially they should have found a way i mean the conversations on the right-wing uh conservative christian talk shows were well they did they were too stupid to have homeowners insurance and they were too stupid to get out of there so what do we care no that's very much the attitude that he had until it became incomprehensible to anyone anywhere in the world why a president would be silent in the state of this kind of uh, natural disaster maybe he has translated that phrase or that concept of help the poor into uh, justified it by maybe a change a few words a few letters you get scam the poor and that's really what this whole thing has been about literally from the first day they never wanted to do anything in this program except look good be political and possibly give a little bit of money to churches, for example, that are going to have these Bible-based treatment programs, Bible-based spouse abuse programs, you know, the ones that say if you're an abused spouse, remember Christ is the head of the church, your husband is the head of your family, go back and live with him. I mean, that's literally the kind of stuff that we see being supported. We, we found, uh, for example, in a number of places in the South, drug rehabilitation programs that do not believe in medicine. They, they reject any medical interventions. They say you must pray about your addiction because your addiction is a sin. No medicine will cure that. Walking down the street to the battered mud, I saw a woman there and I gave her a hug. She reached out and grabbed me and she gave me a tug, saying, don't point that thing at me.
But in the White House staff, people roll their eyes at the evangelicals. They call them nuts. They call them goofy. Yeah. Is that really what the attitude oh, was? Absolutely. You name the important Christian leader, and I have heard them mocked by serious people in serious places. Specifically, he says, people in the White House political office referred to Pat Robertson as insane, Jerry Falwell as ridiculous, Thank James you. Dobson had to be controlled, and President Bush, he writes, talked about his compassion agenda, but never really fought for it. And the President of the United States promised that he would be the leading lobbyist on behalf of the poor. What better lobbyist could anybody get? What happened? The lobbyists didn't follow through. What about 9-11? All the priorities got turned about. I was there before 9-11. I know what happened before 9-11. No. The, the trend before 9-11 was you know, president makes a big announcement and nothing happens. Quo speaks as an insider. Even before he became the number two guy in the White House faith-based office, he had a long resume in the world of Christian conservatives. We will rally the armies of compassion in our communities. Close as he took candidate Bush at his word during the 2000 campaign. This is where he proposed for the first time that he would spend $8 billion on programs for the poor. I think it's one of the most important political speeches given in the last generation. I really do. It laid out a whole new philosophy for Republicans. And now it is my honor to sign the two executive orders. After the election, to much fanfare, President Bush created the Office of Faith-Based Initiatives to increase funds to religious charities. But Quo says there were problems right off the bat. It drops down mm -hmm. very quickly down the list of priorities. Mm -hmm. uh, but how much money finally went to them? <laughs> oh, in the first two years, uh, first two years, I think $60 million. When you hold it up to a promise of $8 billion, I, mean, I don't know how good I am at math, but I know that's less than 1% of a promise. Today we repent. Part of the problem, Quo says, was indifference from the base, the religious right. He took us to a convention of evangelical groups, his old stomping ground, and walked us around the display booths looking for any reference to the poor. Yeah, you've got you know, homosexuality in your kid's school, and you've got human cloning, and partial birth abortion, and divorce. Not a mention of the poor. Yeah. This message that's been sent out to Christians for a long time now, that Jesus came primarily for a political agenda. Now, and recently, just primarily a right-wing political agenda, as if you know, this culture war is a war for God, and it's not a war for God. It's a war for politics. such a, a, a full frontal attack on homosexuality. Why, why gays? What, what, what is it about gay people that sets off Christians? 
Uh, well, some Christians, of course, actually, you know, I'm a minister in the United Church of Christ. I can perform same-sex weddings. So can Unitarians. So can Reformed Jews. So it's something that is simply a part of some theological beliefs. But this is a good scapegoat, at least for this generation. It looks politically like they can get away with homophobia, with hammering on the rights of gay and lesbian people. And again, in this book, Piety and Politics, I tried to connect kind of these core church-state separation issues that you and I have talked about for a decade or yeah, more with women's rights, with the gay and lesbian rights movement, to show that the thread, it's more than a thread, frankly, it's a, it's a whole rope that connects all of these issues is an understanding that we must make law based on their interpretation of Bible principles. This is not ancient Israel. This is the United States in 2006. This is a constitutional democracy. This is not a theocracy or even a theocracy light, you know, where they take our books away, but they don't blind us. And that's bad enough. We, we have got to stop this. And I, the good news is, in the last year, I have seen more interest in the separation of church and state from people who are otherwise progressive, but just never really made the connections that I have ever seen before. And I think that's why you do see more and more of these books coming out. And you see people who who are a bit more in the middle, at least acknowledging that things have gotten out of hand, including out of hand in the office of the faith-based initiative. Well, you know, caller, uh, when I started the conversation today, I, I really wanted to ask listeners, you know, what, what, uh, how do you want your children to learn about religion? Do you want them to learn about it from the state? Do you want them to learn about it in your church? Do you want to know that your church is supported by the state? Or, you know, how do you want it to work in the United States? Because I've always been, as you know, this is why we've talked to each other for over 10 years. I've always been pro-separation of church and state for the preservation of both. You got it. That's been my position. And a caller said to me something very simple but very, very um, important, I think. He said, what's the difference if we uh, institutionalize in our government religion that is a brand, you know, conservative, charismatic, evangelical, Christianity only, what's the difference between us and the Taliban? The only difference uh, is the na is the religion that we're getting fundamentalist right. about. Right. Right. That's it. Yeah. I mean, there's no there's no other difference. And when people say, "Well, that's an extreme statement," realize that if they had their way, the the right wing Christians in this country, there would be not only no abortion, there would be mostly no contraception, because these are the same people who believe that almost every method of contraception is literally an abortion inducing well, the procedure. Way, I know, but the way that I looked at it. Was that the Taliban had bamboozled the people of Afghanistan into believing that the only way that they could stay secure was if they invited them in and subscribed to their brand of Islam, which was Wahhabist fundamentalist Islam, a certain brand, not you know Sunni, not Shia, Wahhabi fundamentalist radical Islam. Isn't that the same story that Bush is peddling? That the only way that you can stay safe is if you endorse this. Christian, conservative, neocon, radical, fundamentalist, charismatic brand of Christianity as the government's religion. Indeed, that's the message, that's the bottom line, and it's clear that he says that we will keep you safe, not just from the terrorists, the so-called Islamo-fascists, the word he invented, but also we'll keep you safe 
from all the things that could come up. If you don't know about science, then your kids won't be troubled into having to learn about evolution. They are fearful of everything. Images, that's why two weeks ago a woman in Georgia, for example, sued her school board to get the Harry Potter books out of the school I library. Know, I why? Don't get that. Yeah, why? Because it teaches witchcraft. What does it really mean? What it means is she's afraid, because the religious right and the president have taught her this, that if your child just sees one fleeting image of something that's different from what is taught in the home, that child's values from the church, the synagogue, and the family will all dissipate, and the child will immediately go to the cauldrons of America. See, that's the kind of nonsense they, they, they preach. Uh, you know, people ask me what kind of a life I I live. I tell a lot of stories in piety and politics about my family and about my kids and about trying to communicate with them the real values that uh, we and our family have. And uh, I think we've been pretty successful. But we never asked the government to help us. We never asked the government to teach our kids how to pray. We never asked them to make judgments about fundamental moral questions. And uh, that's the way it's got to be in America, in America with 2,000 different religions and 20 million non-believers. We better get along, because if we don't get along, we'll be fighting ourselves, and then we won't notice the real enemies when they do come by. Oftentimes, these days, the Republicans would like you to believe that all the troops are Republicans and that all the reverends and the pastors and all the clergy are also uh, uh, Republicans. But that's clearly not true, because now we have with us Reverend Robin Myers. She is the author of Why the Christian Right is Wrong, a minister's manifesto for taking back your faith, your flag, your future. Gotta love it. Uh, Reverend uh, Myers, welcome to the Young Turks. Thanks, and it's a he, not a she. Okay, well, there you go. <laughs> That's all right. It's a very common mistake. <laughs> okay. A guy with a bad name like mine should know better. <laughs> okay, or at least a confusing name like mine. All right, uh, Reverend Myers, first of all, I don't get it. I thought the whole Bible was about abortion. Uh, apparently not. Actually, what the Bible's about is how the strong are supposed to treat the weak. Uh, the, the Republicans have done a lousy job at that, and the Democrats, through history, even with their shortcomings, have been much more compassionate and kind than the Republicans. So actually, the Democrats have been much more biblical. Well, I don't understand that. I thought Jesus was an ass-kicker, and that he, w <laughs> that he wouldn't stand for any kind of uh, strikes against him. That he's... Isn't Jesus for preemptive strikes? Yeah, right. That's why in the Sermon on the Mount, he said you should turn the other cheek and never return evil for evil. What? Uh, yeah. 
uh, uh, Rob, what's the what's the ratio of uh, talking about as Cenk mentioned in the first question there the ratio of abortion to poverty in, in the Bible? Uh, well, it's pretty phenomenal. Jim Wallace, who's the minister of the head of the Sojourners Community, actually did a count uh, in the Bible of the number of references to poverty and the responsibility of the rich to help the poor, and it was an astonishing number of uh, I can't tell you the exact number, but you can look it up. You can Google this. And there are, of course, no references, zero references to abortion, because it wasn't even an issue that could have been on anyone's mind. So it's uh, hundreds of of, uh, citations against poverty and zero against abortion. We're talking to Robin Myers. He wrote, Why the Christian Right is Wrong, a Minister's Manifesto for Taking Back Your Faith, Your Flag, Your Future. So, Robin, let me ask you... um, What I'm particularly curious about is what you say is so obvious, yet we are so far removed from that. There are so many ministers, reverends, pastors, etc., that only talk about abortion and, you know, stem cell research and a couple of other hot topic buttons that help the Republicans. Mm -hmm. And never talk about the majority of the Bible about helping the poor and helping your neighbors, etc. How did that come about? How did the church lose where it was going and become, really, frankly, a complete tool for the Republican Party? Well, that's what the whole book's about. So I guess the first thing I would say is if you read the book, you'll get the, you'll get the long answer. The short answer is that uh, a group of uh, Southern Baptists in the late 70s and early 80s, under the leadership of Jerry Falwell and the moral majority, suddenly discovered that if you talked a lot about sex and the end of Western civilization as we know it being brought on by sex, secular humanists, you could really scare people to death, and you could think, you could make them think that had something to do with Christianity, and you could achieve power, and nobody would notice that you were misrepresenting the gospel and the Christian tradition fundamentally. But that's exactly what happened, and I'm, I'm afraid the rest of us were sort of asleep at the wheel, and I'm trying to get people to wake up and realize that it, it doesn't just, you just, you don't just have to be a liberal to be alarmed these days. You can be a moderate or even a conservative, and if you're thinking, you'll see that in fact the essence of uh, the religious, what is true faith, has been hijacked right out from underneath all of us. So, I want to understand that process just a little bit better, Robin. So, was the Republican Party working in tandem with these uh, ministers that you're talking about, or did it just kind of evolve naturally? They started talking about, oh, we're anti-sex and we're for Armageddon or whatever they were talking about, and the Republicans are like, yeah, we love that. Let's work together. Well, there is a a, a more natural fit when you're talking about Republicans who have fought all of the laws that help to make people equal, to end discrimination, um, to elevate women, to end discrimination against gays. If you are reactionary, and, and therefore you're a Republican in this sense, and the Christian right comes along and says, we're going to use the sort of hysteria that those issues can uh, provoke in people to form this unholy alliance. And we will use the 60 million evangelicals that we speak to in this country. We will energize their vote on your behalf, and then you can go right on doing the things you've always done, which the, the what your listeners need to know is that after the votes are gotten, the real agenda has nothing whatsoever to do with religion. It ends up being about tax cuts for the wealthy 
and uh, deregulation of environmental laws and all the other things that help uh, people who are rich and powerful get richer and more powerful. Uh, let me ask you this, Robin. Are those evangelicals that you mentioned, 60 million of them, and, and obviously they're not all conservatives, um, are they gone for good? Can they be talked to? Can they be brought back? Oh yes, not only can they be talked to, but it, but if you want to if you want to have some hope, and hope's a hard thing to have these days, evangelicals in this country are beginning to wake up to the fact that their gospel and their understanding of Jesus uh, as the Prince of Peace and the Friend of the Poor has been stolen from them, and that they sold their soul to the devil when they got mixed up in right wing politics. How are they realizing that? Well, well, that you can see noted evangelicals uh, writing books uh, and giving speeches and talking about the environment. You know, there's a green movement yeah. among evangelicals now. That's very exciting. Jim Wallace is an evangelical, but he's certainly a liberal when it comes to uh, his politics. So these old alliances are starting to break down and get cracks in them. And I think it's because more people are realizing that the People that we entrusted with uh, sort of saving the soul of the nation have, in fact, brought us close uh, to the end of the world. And that is a lot scarier than whether someone chooses to have an abortion or whether two gay people we don't even know get married. Uh, and that doesn't constitute any threat to my marriage or the marriage of any straight people on earth. That's a Trojan horse. They're, they're all Trojan horses. Yeah. As, as it turns out, none of this is a real threat. Uh, the real threats are uh, World War III in the Middle East and global warming and uh, an economy that's about to tank because we have an unbelievable deficit. Well, Jenk mentioned, uh, I was going to ask you something else, but you mentioned World War III, so let's move on to that. You mentioned, uh, and Jenk did, uh, World War III, Jenk mentioned Armageddon, but it seems that so many are, are, are tied up into the, that, you know, that you say we avoiding World War III is, is what we should be talking about, not any of these Trojan horses, but don't so many think this World War Three? This is this all, is great. This is good because yeah, this is what we're waiting for. Yeah, all foretold in the Bible. Right. All right. The scariest thing that people can know is that there are millennialists in the administration, people who believe the end of the world is near, the apocalypse is coming, Jesus is coming back, the saved, the elect are getting swept into heaven, and all the rest of us are getting, you guessed it, left behind. Awesome. There have been sixty million copies of that that horrible series of books sold. And here's what's frightening. If you really believe that the arc of history is short, that we don't have much time, then what incentive do you have to protect the environment? Right. What incentive do you have to bring peace in the Middle East? You don't. Uh, and, and, that, and I talk about this in the book, and I talk about this from my pulpit, and I've been on a summer book tour all over this country this summer, and I've talked about it with everybody, because I'm going to get everybody as frightened about that as I can <laughs> so we can take this country Back. But, but See, let me. I'm sorry, Jack. We just follow up real quick. Would you, you know, you mentioned the millennialists in the White House, and that obviously is disturbing. But one millennialist is not the same as another millennialist. No, and we we that's learned when Ronald Reagan died that he was a millennialist. But we were not. But Ronald Reagan was not looking forward or pushing policies that led to Armageddon. And I doubt very seriously you're going to sit here and defend the politics of Ronald Reagan. No, but no. it was far different than the. There, he was far less dangerous than these guys. Well, that's right. And, and George Bush's father was less dangerous. Right. Than the sun, because we've had a gradual erosion. As Bill Moyers said, the uh, delusional has now come in and become mainstream. The, the, the people whose 
politics and whose understanding of the Bible are so radical that we would have dismissed them 10 or 15 years ago are now sitting in the halls of power in Washington. That's what people have to wake up. That's the reality people have to wake up to. See, but there's something very difficult that we've got to explain to people here, and I'm wondering how you're doing it and, and whether it's uh, meeting with some success. And we're talking to Robin Myers. He wrote the book, Why the Christian Right is Wrong, uh, and Minister's Manifesto for Taking Back Your Faith, Your Flag, Your Future. Robin, how do you tell people that they're listening to madmen and that their religious leaders have led them astray and lied to them and, and have worked with... A one particular uh, party and told them things uh, the, with at the very least the wrong emphasis of, yeah. w- of what's in the Bible. Well, I, I've given 30 years of my life to being a minister in the church, and so I take that knowledge and understanding of the Bible, and I say, here's what the essence of the gospel says, because it's right there in the Sermon on the Mount. Here's what people are doing and saying in the Christian right. What's wrong with this picture? We have, uh, and that's what prophetic preaching is supposed to be about. We have Jimmy Swaggart saying to his congregation, if a gay man looks at him the wrong way, he'll kill him and tell God he died. No danger of that, by the way. Right. Yes, that's right. (laughs) And Jerry Falwell says we should assassinate the duly elected leader of Venezuela, Hugo Chavez. Pat Robertson, actually. I mean, Pat Robertson. And And Jerry Falwell says, let's bomb them all in the name of the Lord. That's right. That's right. I got my uh, crazy people uh, confused momentarily. But with enemies like that, I mean, with friends like that, who needs enemies? I mean, we are in an upside-down sort of Orwellian world, and uh, some of us are just going to scream a little bit before we go over the edge. Well, Robin, I'm right there with you, and believe me, nobody's screaming louder than I am. (laughs) But but that being said, does that get through to people? I mean, when, when you tell them, hey, listen, people you're talking to or you're listening to are crazy, and they've led you to down the wrong path, I would imagine that they would throw up a couple of defense mechanisms and say, oh, no, he's crazy liberal. No, let's go back to believing we should bomb people uh, right. to heaven. Well, some people do. I mean, I'm not going to reach everybody. And on this tour, I talked to a lot of people who were in blue states, and I was in Berkeley and some places where you would expect everybody to agree with me. But you know what? I live in Oklahoma, and I can see changes in this very conservative state. I've seen and I've heard from conservative Christians who are really getting queasy about what's going on, so I'm willing to go talk to anybody, because I don't think it's about what I think or whether I'm right or not because I'm a liberal. I think we're living in dangerous times because we have given power to a group of people who really, really don't have any idea what religion's all about and are in it for the money and the power and the oil and the domination of the world. I mean, I really think we are talking about some very evil characters who are running this country. And I think more and more people are realizing that regardless of their politics or their religion. You, uh, you, you're, we're talking to Robin uh, Myers, the author of Why the Christian Right is Wrong. Uh, he's a, uh, a minister in Oklahoma. Uh, we talked about one of your two really distinguished senators from Oklahoma uh, yesterday on the program, Jim, Jim Inhofe, who said so many dumb things yesterday. It's, I believe we found a politician unquestionably with a lower intellectual capacity than the president of the United States. <laughs> yes, you did. Um, he, he believes that global warming is a myth, the greatest myth perpetrated on the human race. But go ahead. Well, I want to get to global warming. You mentioned the green movement among environmentalists, and you pointed out as significant. But uh, Jim Inhofe reiterated his belief that global warming is largely a front for international economic movements. And he said, 
said, I see this, I see this, and I know it's true. Uh, Jim Inhofe is, uh, I, you know, I, I don't even have to look it up. I, I guarantee you he would call himself, I'm sure, a, a devout, uh, a literal Christian, oh, correct? Of course. So, uh, well, one, how do, how do you and he read the same Bible and, and, and come off in such completely different directions? Well, I don't think and, he reads, first of all, I don't think he reads the Bible. A lot of the people that are making claims about in the Bible don't study it, have never been to seminary, don't go to Sunday school, don't do any serious right. reading of the Bible, except they go to certain selected passages right. that they know support the position they already hold. Well, i got to jump in there, Robin. I mean, are you, uh, aren't you a little embarrassed that the people who are the most hateful at times and the people who argue for war and, and World War III and hating other people uh, are oftentimes the, the most, they claim to be the most religious people. I mean, yeah, am I a little embarrassed by it? I wrote this book because I'm more than just a little embarrassed by it. I'm, I'm afraid that we have turned everything upside down. A lot of thoughtful people have left the church because of this and we need them back. But look, if you're going to be religious, you don't get to make up moral values as you go along. People actually said they re-elected the president because of something called moral values. I couldn't imagine what they were talking about because he has turned upside down the basic moral values that are brought across in Scripture. If you look at all of Scripture in context, not just a few passages that you pick out, and I give lots of examples of that. The deficit is a, a, a moral value. The budget's a moral value. The environment's a moral value. War is war is the greatest failure of the human race. So to take Jesus and go marching into war is an abomination. Somebody needs to say that uh, and, and get as many people to, to pay attention as possible. Well, Robin, we couldn't agree more. We're out of time. I, I do want to ask you a quick 15-second uh, question, if I could. And I don't know if you know the answer to this, but what percentage of the people who are very religious in this country, evangelical born-agains, do believe in this concept of the end times and, and the Armageddon and, and are looking forward to that, I guess. There are, there, I saw a poll that 40 to 45 million Americans believe that the end of the world is imminent. So they are one manifestation or another of people who believe in the, apoc- in the coming apocalypse. Now, let me That's add, a scary number, Robin. It's a, it's a terrifying an... number, but uh, because we have Robin on, I want to follow that up because it's something we speculate about a lot often on this show. Do you believe that number Robin, or we sort of wonder, we don't, of course, know, but we wonder whether that those poll numbers are enhanced by people who answer it affirmatively because they think they ought to answer it affirmatively, even though they don't really believe sure. it. There's a possibility that there's a, there's a margin of error, but don't forget, 60 million copies of the Left Behind series have been sold. That's a fact. So we know people either buy it or they're interested enough yeah. in it to buy books of pure fiction. So it, it, it is enough to worry about, that's for sure. Yeah, okay. I mean, that scares the living daylights. I mean, there's 45 million crazy Americans. They're nuts. They're nuts. They're, we got we got people who are nuts who are preaching to us right now. Yeah, but they're not in positions of power, so we have nothing to worry about. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And you guys just have to keep, you guys got to keep up the good work. All right, you too, Robin. Thank right. you. Thank you, Robin. Thanks a lot. All right, everybody check out Why the Christian Right is Wrong by Robin Myers.
just imagine if on the fifth anniversary of 9-11, let me, let me posit this first as a what if. How would CNN and Fox News and ABC and CBS and NBC, how would they deal with it if on September 11, 2006, you know, just a few weeks ago, a month and a half, month ago, month and a half ago, the fifth anniversary of 9-11, if a guy had, had driven a suicide bomb car into a building and blown it up and tried to kill himself and all the people in the building, don't you think that that would just make screaming headlines? Terror attack on anniversary of 9-11? What if that guy was a member of an organization, a terrorist group, on whose website it tells Americans, I'm going to kill you, quote-unquote. He says, quote, I am a terrorist, I'm going to kill you, end quote, on his website. This is an organization. This isn't one guy. This is an organization. And what if, that, what if I told you that that organization had accomplished seven murders inside the United States? This is all inside the United States. Seven murders, 17 attempted murders, three kidnappings, 152 assaults, 305 completed or attempted bombings and arsons, 375 invasions, 482 stalking incidents, 380 death threats, 618 bomb threats, 1,000 attacks where they had thrown acid on people, and 1,254 acts of vandalism. What if I told you that they had sent 77 anthrax letters or letters threatening anthrax before 9-11, and since 9-11, they have sent 554 more letters containing white powder and messages saying, you have been exposed to anthrax, we are going to kill you. Don't you think if that happened in the United States, that CNN, NBC, NBC, ABC, CBS, Fox News would be all over it? Screaming headlines? Terror attacks in the United States! Well, it did happen. Here's the story from today's Newsday. On, on September 11, 2005, the fifth anniversary of the terror attacks that devastated our nation, a man crashed his, build, his car into a building in Davenport, Iowa, hoping to blow it up and kill himself in the fire. No national newspaper, magazine, or network newscast reported this attempted suicide bombing, even though there was an AP wire story available. Cable news, except for MSNBC's Keith Olbermann, was silent about this latest act of terrorism in America. Had the criminal, a man by the name of David McMenemy, McMenemy, been Arab or Muslim, this would have been headline news for weeks. But because his target was the Edgerton's Women's Health Center, and he says he's a fundamentalist Christian fighting a holy war, it was not covered. Since 1997, casualties from this war include seven murders, 17 attempted murders, three, well, I read you the list before, over 554 anthrax attacks. This is a group, these were signed by the Army of God, a group that hosts scripture-filled web pages for anti-abortion heroes of the faith, including Minister Paul Hill, Michael Griffin, James Kopp, all convicted of murdering abortion providers, and a convicted clinic bomber, Michael Bray. Clayton Wagoner. Mailed anthrax letters while a fugitive on the, on the FBI's list. I am a terrorist, he says on the Army of God's website. It doesn't matter to me if you're a nurse, receptionist, bookkeeper, or janitor. If you work for the murderous abortionist, I'm going to kill you, end quote. Which, by the way, brings us back to the car bomber. 
He tried to blow up the Women's Health Center in a suicide bombing. They don't provide abortions. What they provide are pap smears, testing for STDs, birth control pills, and nutrition and immunization programs for pregnant women and children. He got it wrong. But he blew up his car anyway. Please forgive the absence of my illustrious vocals as I have fallen slightly ill. I do need to remind you, however, that it is a new month and votes at Podcast Alley are preferred over Get Well Flowers and Candy. Thank you in advance for your help. By the way, whoever thought that the Bush administration was really interested in helping real people of faith? And poor people? Please. It's always been about buying votes. Have a good one, everybody. Pitch burning on a shining sheet. The only-